On this episode of the Film Crux Podcast, we speak with Joker cinematographer Lawrence Schur. So what is it? Uh, what's this amazing testing process that gets you such great results? So it's very simple. I'll, I'll give it away because I, I, I got no, no problem giving it away. So, Welcome to the Film Crux Podcast. I am your host, Deontay Jenkins. Now, before we get into the meat of this interview with Lawrence Schur, I want to talk to you about Shot Deck. Shot Deck is our sponsor for this week's episode, and if you don't know what Shot Deck is, continue to listen to this podcast because we talk about it a lot, because it just so happens that Lauren Schur created Shot Deck. But to give you a quick little summary, Shot Deck is a library of images that come from television and film that are cataloged for you to use as reference images. They have so many images from so many films and so many great directors and cinematographers that you can just have access to. Now, if you're interested in Shot Deck, they've given us an amazing promotion just for our listeners. If you want access to this library of images, go to shotdeck.com and use promo code FILMCRUX at checkout, all capital letters, to get 40% off of your subscription. Again, that's promo code FILMCRUX in all capital letters to get 40% off of your subscription. And speaking of Shot Deck... So, uh, Larry... I did not realize that uh, you ran Shot Deck. I use Shot Deck all the time. I've used it plenty of times. I did not realize that you were running that. Well, yeah, I I run it. I, I built it out of necessity. Now I run it a little out of necessity, although I've got great people like Christian here and, and a bunch of other people that uh, are helping helping keep it afloat. Uh, but yes, yes, I, I built it because I needed it to exist and and I want it to exist and even before we went and made it even a beta that was like a public beta where people could join and check it out, uh, there was a moment in time where I went, well, maybe this will just be a really expensive program I built just for myself. And, right. <laughs> uh, that almost almost would have been worth it just for that because over years and years of just needing a tool like that, I yeah. just uh, I was like, I got to build it because I don't see it existing anywhere else. So when you when you were building it, did you just start compiling uh, images from films that you were seeing, or? Well, that's what I was doing anyway. Like going back to even Garden State, you know, an early movie when I went and pitched myself for the job, I would go and get screen grabs from DVDs back then because it was ages ago, and and I would put them into folders, and they would become a folder like Harold and Maude, or you know bottle rocket or whatever and then and i might grab only 10 stills or i'd do hangover and i'd grab some stills from casino or you know uh oceans 11 oceans 13 and would be just maybe one thing that could just become a talking point or a reference but there were just disparate images in folders and every single time i'd start a new project i would go what i knew i grabbed something from casino but i had no way to find it Right. So at one point I thought oh, I could build it in Lightroom with a bunch of keywords. And I thought about that for a little while. At one point I asked my dad who was retired. I said, Hey, if I paid you 10 grand, could you just like keyword all these images <laughs> just as like a proof of concept? Like, would this work? Uh, and then, and then starting and it, it's honestly it went back to 2013. I found a, a coder and a designer and we, the three of us started building what became shot tech. I mean, it's a beautiful website. Yeah, it, it's 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 very well done. Uh, I think I I joined Shot Deck like last year. I was working on a uh, on a documentary, and 
um, it was a first time director and I was, I was DPing it. So I, I, I direct and DP, but, uh, I've been DPing a lot lately just to really understand the process of DPing better, um, and be able to communicate what I want more, uh, efficiently. But I was DPing this doc for the, uh, director and, you know, I wanted him to fully see what I was trying to do with lighting and what I was trying to do. We were shooting in a, in an old, uh, church. Uh, down in South Carolina or North Carolina, um, so it, it's a it's a huge help for for filmmakers for sure. Well, thank you. I, that's, that was what it was, it was intended to be. It was just for exactly what I wanted it to be for myself. I figured if I needed this, I, other people would need it as well because I use it not just for pitch decks, but I use it every day throughout the process. I mean, I'll use it on set while we're shooting. Because for some reason we'll come up with something in which I'm trying to express something in which a picture can get right to the point. Right, you know, whether exactly. It's from the lighting, composition, color. Color is a big thing, you know, in terms of yeah. uh, going back and looking at, like, what is that level of blue in the window light or what is right. that cyan that we're looking for? Yeah, I've, I've noticed that with your with your work, actually. I've see, I see a lot of color, especially in um, – I think the earliest film I saw from you was uh, – uh, that you shot was a a better way to die, I think. That oh was the boy, you go way back. That's a that's like that's like way back. By the way, but yes, even even that went back to like like always interested in color. I was never yeah, one of those yeah, yeah. D sat guys. I always enjoyed cinematographers that use color a lot. You know, yeah. whether it was Storaro or um, you know um, you know filmmakers that just embrace the fact that color was another tool like lighting and composition to express emotion and that you could there was always a time in which i thought you know if you took a an avid and you just scrolled through really fast you could see the rhythm of the movie through the color choices and that and that in that when i would break down movies in prep i would one of the things that I would write into the notes was always what the color of that scene would be and what the emotional sort of impact of that color would be. So yeah, it's been present for a long, long time for sure. Do you, I still, I still, it's still a a huge part of, you know, conversation and communication on set as to where you go with it, with directors. It's always a challenge. Now, now that I, I assume you're mostly shooting digital, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I did. Uh, yeah, I started basically twenty five movies or so film, and then starting around. Well, Dictator was my first like all digital film, right? And then and then War Dogs was the first one I did with Todd, and and then now yes, mostly digital for sure. Is that changing the way that you you decide to to work with color? Well, it it it, it the beauty of it, of course, is that. You can have that communication in real time on set. Now, sometimes it's sort of lovely to get those that that stuff back later, and it's one less conversation you have to have on set. But you have it in advance, but you're not like getting distracted. It's funny because early days of like digital with Todd Phillips, who obviously Joker now is this new Joker that we start on Wednesday, is our seventh film together. I think in 15 wow. years, and uh, and Todd. Initially, because we started all our movies on on film, and he was really resistant to digital, he didn't like the what you see is what you get aspect of it. Hmm. He kind of hated that. And I actually understood that. 
early digital days, I kind of didn't either. I liked a shitty black and white monitor, you know, tap that was sort of rough and not really representative of what the movie was going to look like. Right. And then the next day, it was kind of magic when you get the dailies and you'd get, you know, sometimes you'd get a surprise, something you wouldn't expect, <laughs> but often it was something more beautiful than what you even sort of like were doing the day before. And for Todd, who's so focused on actors when you're making the film, um, and he's incredible with actors, he just hated that. He's like, this is what it's going to look like. And then it became a distraction for him to have to think about that during the shooting day. Right. But the beauty, of course, and I remember even going back to like day one on Joker, you know, in 2018, we... I would just cycle through some some color temperatures. So it'd be like, let's set up a room and put it at 3,200. And then I would go, let's look at it at 3,600. Let's look at it at 4,000. Let's look at it at 4,500. Oh, so you're and doing that on just, set. Yeah, and that's something you couldn't do on film. Right, right, right. You can't represent that. And not to – because I'm not one of those DPs that does a lot of coloring. I get a lot. I try to refine the LUD as best as I can before we start shooting. Maybe yeah. even through the first week of shooting, we'll continue to refine the LUT. But then I just light it like a movie, and I try to shoot it. As well, yeah, much it, like it, in it becomes as possible. It becomes a film stock after that. You know, that's that's, right. that's what you're working with. You know, it's but that color temperature aspect of the digital cameras is actually something in which you can make a global adjustment right. that can suddenly take, let's say, a fully uncorrected window at daylight and push it to half correction. And then find a medium in which, okay, now the tungsten lights are going a little warmer. The daylight outside is going, you know, I always liked that mixed light feel anyway, because it was very representative of the 70s and 80s in which they weren't controlling everything. They weren't, right. you know, ending and color correcting windows, generally speaking. And that's why you go back in those movies and you'll see blue windows and you'll see the, obviously the shitty fluorescence with the green spike. And you'll see that kind of mixed light that became a very, you know, utilitarian look, but actually has a look that I really sort of love. So now it's like, because everything's so clean and LED lighting and you have so much control, you now have to sort of like mimic those, those mimic it to make it more, you know, fucked up for lack of a better word. Excuse me. Yeah, definitely. No, you're fine. (laughs) (laughs) Completely fine. (laughs) Um, So when, when, Obviously, you're not working with exclusively one director. You know, no DP can do that yes. except except maybe like Janusz. Except, except I was thinking, yes, that's exactly right. It was funny you say Janusz because I was literally having a f- conversation with my nephew who's a film student right now. And I was like, yeah, that Janusz Spielberg relationship is probably the longest running in the history of film. The longest that I can think of between a, between a unbroken, DP and a... Yeah. Unbroken. Like that even was, I like think... Deacon's had that couple like stint like with when when chivo shot one and then mm-hmm. bruno or no or, or another person shot one and then you know for like the one with uh Oscar isaacs yeah i think and now it's like yeah i think uh their, their first one was um schindler's and then i think jurassic park which was shot same time uh or right after or right before rather yeah. uh I think that was a different DP, but after after Schindler's, everything was Janusz from then That's on. right. Yeah, Jurassic Park, you're right. That was sort of because they was making him at the same time, and that was still, yeah, Dean Cundy probably or something. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that 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 kind of relationship with a, a DP and a, a director is is so rare. But you you kind of had that with Todd. You know, you guys keep coming back to each other. Is, is Todd more of a, a visual director or or more um, focused on the acting and everything? Well, he's he knows what he likes visually. That's for sure. But I would say he's because he's a writer director. He's co-written every script he's ever done. So he's more closely attuned to like you know, one of those people like Tarantino or, you know, one of the people that really writes his own material. And so because of that, everything starts with the page. And because of that, I think he's more, he's more of like an actor's director in that he's always writing within, with a mindset towards casting. And then, but he writes with flourishes of visual stuff. He'll write actual, you know, things that, that are very clear as to what his intent is. That doesn't mean we always follow through with that. Right. But he definitely, like all writers, even I've always contended that like a writer director or even a director, you know, that's they don't really need to know that much about the camera. But what they do need to know is the emotional intent of the scene. Mm -hmm. And then a, a cinematographer's job is to help take that communication of what that emotional intent is and then translate it into some sort of visual language. So. You know, Todd and I's conversations are very much that, right? Like, what's the intent here? And then what, what, you know, what type of tools are we going to use to tell that story? Is it off-putting for you when you have a more uh, visual director that, that is more attuned with the technical side of the camera and composition and, and lenses and everything like that? Not really. Jama Colette Sarah, who did Black Adam, he's like that. He's the yeah. guy who was in his early days would shoot and direct commercials. So very similar to, you know, Fincher or, or, um, you know, James Cameron or, or those kind of filmmakers that really can do the job. Um, Jama was much more like that. And I quite liked it because at least, you know, there, there, you could bridge that, 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 you know, communication of, of just lensing you could talk about lensing they had a perspective on lensing and all that kind of stuff um but i generally i used to say there was a i remember there was a movie called hotel for dogs yeah, and i, I basically yeah. like it was between me and another guy and i remember interviewing for it and he had the whole movie storyboarded and i basically was like oh so you just want to execute these storyboards much like a commercial director i think he may have even been a commercial director before he did that movie. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, this is the movie. And I was like, I probably am not the guy for you because it's like a really visually like dominant director. I generally tend to like be better suited with those sort of writer directors in which I can kind of help carry a little bit of the load of the compositional stuff of the lighting, allow them to really focus on the acting and then help, and I can be sort of strong in the in the visual side. It's funny. I don't think, like, uh, I always be like, could I shoot for Ridley Scott? I probably could shoot for Ridley Scott because of the way he shoots. But there are certain directors. I'm like, I might just not be the right fit for that. Yeah, no, that, that's and that's I I made a. So I was I was telling Christian that I I have a a pretty decent following on TikTok and I analyze films and talk about. Uh, uh, both technical stuff and artistic stuff. And a lot of DPs don't realize that you don't have to work with 
a director that that doesn't fit your style of working you know what i mean like there's a even though richardson and 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 scorsese had a, a brief uh very good collaboration but there's a story that richardson told once about him coming in with a bunch of ideas and storyboards and stuff like that and then scorsese calling him into the office and saying so i put together these ideas of shots and things for the film and i've done that my whole career with oliver with marty I, I, he got these notes and marty got on the phone very polite he goes bob i got your notes i have not looked at them nor will i ever look at them when i finish writing the script and i'm happy with my script i will give you a notes for every shot in the film. That was it. All right. I guess I'll be operating and lighting on this show. Some people want more help. It's like, you know, if if that's not what you want to work with, just know that and don't don't move towards those directors. Yes, right. And and this comes into play, let's say, with something like Black Adam or something like lots of moments in in Godzilla where it previs becomes like that, right? And right. so the the frustrating thing, it didn't happen on Black Adam because I was on early enough, but where you just are delivered a bunch of previs, let yeah. alone like storyboards. Storyboards are one thing, but storyboards are fairly inert and they mostly represent an idea of a shot, but not so specifically unless you're the Coens or 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 you know, um you know, Wes Anderson and stuff and yeah. early early days. But Previs, now you're like have camera movement, you have actual lenses involved, you have mm -hmm. like placement. Then it's like there you can do a thing called tech viz where you take the previs, it'll tell you how fast the dolly track, how wow. much dolly track you need, how fast it has to move. And now you really are just executing this thing. And that can become certainly very frustrating unless you actually go in and say, This is the job, this is this kind of movie, right? In which some stuff is going to be thought out before I even arrive and some stuff I'm going to have a lot of say on and mm -hmm. some stuff I'm just going to be executing something and that's the job and you go great. But if you fight against that, you're going to have a very frustrating experience and it'll probably be an unsatisfying experience to say the least. Yeah. It, it's, I, I would assume like you thinking of two um, comic book movies that you worked on Joker and black Adam, I would assume Black Adam had a lot more previs along with it than than Joker. A hundred percent. Black Adam, by its nature, because of one, we had COVID, so we had a lot of prep. But by its nature, is anything that was like, I mean, a lot of that movie was previs. Right. You know, I would. Is say that more that frustrating good. for you though? Like, like I feel no, like because I, I was in, I was involved in those previs, so gotcha. then it was kind of exciting. And I was like, I remember we did a previs sequence on War Dogs. And and Todd was like, well, because I think I think honestly Warner Brothers said, hey, you want to do some previs? And Todd's like, I don't. What's fuck's previs, man? And so we were like, this isn't really a previs movie, but we had that one sequence when they kind of wake up and they're like, they don't know where their driver is, and they're at, like by a gas station, and Jonah goes to pee, and then they get they get like chased by these guys, and the helicopters come to save the day, and it's like kind of an involved sequence. So Todd and I sat down, we wrote out basically like an editorial shot list. I was like, together, let's just imagine this is already finished. Right. We'll talk, let's talk through shot by shot. I'll make a list of 88 shots. And then, because I had had some experience, I go, I'll sit with this previous artist 
and we'll we'll come up with it. And it was great because we just went through and we we actually set all the lenses. And then at one point we went, oh shoot, we're gonna shoot at a different time of day. We flipped the sun. It was in real space. So we knew exactly where the sun was gonna be. Yeah. And then we went and actually executed that and it was super fun. We didn't have a lot of time, but we were able to do it really efficiently. And if you watch that previs and you watch the, the actual finished sequence, they're damn close. But it was fun because Todd and I did it. So there are movies in which directors come on and previs has already been created. Really? Before the director comes movies. on? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. Before it, the which, director even comes on. So, like, somebody, somebody, I have, a, I have a friend that asked me what I, what I do, um, you know, one of those big superhero movies. And I was like, no, nah, it just doesn't seem like it's for me. Not, not because I don't enjoy them, because I do, but like that, when you, when you're taking that work out of the director and the, the cinematographer's hands, it's just like, it's, it's an assembly line at that point, you know? Well, and, and, and sometimes a very profitable one in the case yeah. of Marvel, for sure. Yeah. And, and that assembly line works. They make some really good cars, you know? Yeah, they like, definitely do. But yes, you're absolutely right. There, it's a, it's a, it's by its nature is exactly that. It's a, it's, it's got a lot of moving parts and it's not an auteur situation. By, right. By any stretch. It, and, and as proven by, you know, Edgar Wright leaving Ant-Man and all that, like yeah. they don't want auteurs. They don't want auteurs. They don't, they that, want, that's not what they want at all. Would you, would right. you prefer, so you, you, would you prefer doing, um, pre-vis and storyboards and everything like that as opposed to, I know, um, no, I like just writing out a little shot list, you yeah. know, the, the night before shooting or watching the rehearsal and then quickly jotting down four or five shots. Yeah. I know, I know a lot of people, we, we, we mentioned Spielberg and, um, Tarantino and I think even Paul Thomas Anderson, I've heard they, what they do is they come in and rehearse on the day and then they come up with their shots based on that. You know, that's exactly what I do too. So we'll rehearse Todd and I will watch. I mean, in the case of some things we don't rehearse at all, we just sort of set the stage for a master with the objective of like, let's watch how it unfolds almost like rehearsing on camera, but in a master situation. So I'll set two cameras up. And if I can do it, I'll even set them on opposite sides so that they actually can cut against each other. It's not just like a wider and a tighter on the same axis. I'll try to cross them if I can. So at least I get a feel for the whole thing. But shoot them wide enough that we'll sort of work through the master. And then while we're shooting the master, I'm actually sitting there going, well, I could really quickly come in here, like no waiting, not just swap a lens. And then I could go here with the other camera and I'll sort of, by the end of the master, let's say we do it seven or eight times, that's probably the most takes we'll ever do. I've already sort of constructed in my mind the, the remaining shots that would help us sort of so execute it. And and a lot of it is based on and sometimes we'll then go two takes, swap a lens while he's talking to an actor, and then do do two takes, swap a lens again. And so we'll we'll sort of march through coverage almost as if it's like nothing's unbroken. Right. We don't even sort of like it's just so the the momentum keeps going. That is like the best scenario, and that's when everything's flowing really well. But um, but well, I'll also jot down notes and make shot lists yeah. in preparation. But a lot of the time, it's like one specific shot, maybe the shot into the scene. Are we coming in with a bunch of like quick cuts? Are we trying to do an unbroken sort of shot? Are we are we going to be long lens? Are we going to be wide lens? It's those kind of notes, not. 
I can't stand storyboards. I much yeah. prefer previs than storyboards because previs is actually like you're making the movie in advance. And previs, if you're if all the parties are involved, like if the DP is involved and the director, of course, and you're there together, it's really fun because it's like you're literally pre-making the movie, right? And, and now then you're it just can executing. be quite quite great. Yeah. The problem is like there are previs artists. And it's like no fault. They come from gaming. They come from other in- environments that create, you know, shots that cannot exist. And sometimes <laughs> I won't name the movie, but sometimes you'll get a director that'll be like, you know, it says on the previous it's a four hundred mil, <laughs> and I'm like, yes, but it's dollying in like a four hundred mil shot. dollying in. Wow. Right, I go. That doesn't exist. Yeah. Like that's actually not something. Like that's a mistake on the previs. And he's like, "It says four hundred. Shoot the four hundred. And I literally did it as like a joke almost. And the shot was ridiculously bad yeah. because I'm like, you don't make a dolly shot on a four hundred mil straight no. in. Like you might go lateral for some long lensy sort of thing, but this like you won't even see the you dolly won't see the move mo- you won't see the movement you can't even put right. anything in the foreground on a 400 to to get that depth of movement of motion right. uh that that's ridiculous that's absolutely ridiculous that <laughs> or shots that literally are are impossible to do with a camera right it's like, right yeah those happen sometimes and that's when you you try to you know guillaume uh rocheron who's like he was the visual effects supervisor on Godzilla, and he's great. He won nine, he won Oscars for nineteen seventeen in Life of Pi. Yeah, he was really keen on trying to make sure the camera was never doing something that physics couldn't do. Right. I'm sure we broke it, of course, on that movie, but he was like, "We can't physically move the camera at a scale that a physical, like you know, helicopter couldn't move, or even a drone or something like." We're not going to create shots that only a computer could do. If right. and that was like a starting place of what we were trying. To I do. feel like the audience, the audience can tell when that happens. You know what I mean? Like, like even even with super um, CGI heavy shots, I feel like the audience can always tell when you take that extra element away. That that extra uh, physics um, um, thought through uh, camera movement like you you can't take that away from the audience or they will definitely be able to tell the difference you know it takes it it takes me out of it i think so too i think so too it's funny when you say those full cg shots because i never got so aware of how many full cg shots there are in some of those movies until having made some of those movies yeah and now it's like i almost marvel pun intended or not or whatever uh (laughs) at sequences that are so good and all i do is go cg 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 real shot cg 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 and i'm like and by the way the best one of that is the final 20 minute climax of endgame yeah which is phenomenal right I've and it's still pretty much all like, cg it's like so many 100 percent cg shots like yeah and then literally close up of you know of of you know thor and close-up of, of right. captain america you know are you and that's it it's like and everything else around it is 100 percent cg are you lighting those like when when uh not physically obviously lighting those but are you do you have any input on what the light is doing in those cg shots in the full cg shots yeah most of the time but not all the time sometimes they are just created in a lab you're on another movie 
you finally see it in the DI and you try to fix it and it's too late yeah. and it is what it is. And you, you're then at the mercy of like the VFX supervisor, but more than them, even because they have to approve hundreds, thousands of shots sometimes, uh, you're at the mercy of the artist in whatever country that they're doing that finish work. Right. And there are mistakes that happen and they're, and they're, they're frustrating, and I never thought they would be happy. Like, you know, focus that's not set at basically where it should be in terms of the subject distance and the f-stop. Mm-hmm. And you would expect, well, that should just be simple math. Like, it's a it's a T8, T2, 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 the subject's at six feet, the background's supposed to be, you know, 80 feet away, that's what, it'll be that amount of out of focus. No, it's not done like that. They actually just do it by eye, and they're wow. guessing, and... Really? And it's like, yeah, that's the hard truth that I had to come to. Wow. Yeah. That, because they also have so many artists. I know, and it's a real bummer. Sometimes you're like just shaking your head and it's a wow. bummer. Yeah. Yeah, especially when you when you when you're cutting together with actual footage, you know, that you probably lit and that you that you're really happy with, and then you cut it together with these CGI shots and it just doesn't match up. Wow. That... Yeah, I'm now obsessed. Now that I've been living in that world a little bit, now, like, every time I watch whatever, whether it was, like, The Last Thor, The Last Doctor Strange, Doctor, uh, you know, right? Doctor Strange? Wait, Doctor Strange, yeah. I don't, I'm not a huge comic book guy, but still, <laughs> uh, I'm, like, obsessed because I'm going, well, I feel like they relit that entire scene to be read right. when it wasn't. Mm. And it's, like, it's that kind of thing where I can see I can see those broad stroke changes that they can do. Yeah. Yeah. With, um, so you're, you're doing a lot of, a lot of effects, heavy films now and a lot of, um, a lot more than, than earlier in your career, but you, you always seem to go back to more comedic films. I, I, I feel like based on the films that I don't think I've seen every film that you shot, but based on the films that I know that you shot, you seem to go to comedic, even the film that you directed, um, I think you go right. back to comedic a lot. Is that is that like a conscious decision? Well, it's funny, you know. It's partly because I think the movies I like the most are movies that combine tragedy and comedy. Like yeah. just that's what life is, right? And it I is. don't know if I succeeded as much in Father Figures, but I tried to like have a little bit of a balance. But that was the objective, you know, and it's a little bit hard because sometimes you're trying to service a master that wants uh, something much broader and you want to make something more Alexander Payne and you get caught kind of in the middle. And that might have been what happened with my movie. But but um, but the objective of like finding that kind of absurdist thing. And then I realized like I was with my family this Thanksgiving and you sit down with 10 people and go, hey, let's watch a movie. And you realize they'll they'll pick a comedy because it's like yeah, and you go almost that, every time. There's merit to that, right? Or at least they'll pick something that has something comedic in it. Like it's not just either feels like it's like homework or it's it's too dark and dismal, right? So we picked the Banshees of Inisherin, which was like great movie, awesome, awesome, because yeah. it was like absurdist and had a lot of funny stuff. Yeah. But it was also super deep, really artistic. Yeah. Allegorical. It was all the things and they really enjoyed it. Yeah. You know. I think that as a as a lover of 
all cinema. I think a lot of people feel like comedic films can't have that artistic layer to it. And um, I, or even that emotional, like real emotional layer to it, you know, and I think that's that's complete bullshit, you know. <laughs> it's hard to do comedy because here's the thing. Everyone knows when you miss, right? Yes. Like, yeah. it's like when you miss <laughs> on a drama, the same silence that exists on a drama that's working exists in a drama that's not working. Yeah. But silence in a comedy, you know, you you missed, right? Like, so right. you're the target's very clear in a comedy. And I've always contended the hardest thing to do on earth is to be a stand-up comedian, right? Definitely. Like to go out on stage and try to make people laugh. It's so hard. So I have such respect for comedic actors because they're doing something that's already such a high wire act. So I always believe those people have it in them to be the the most challenging thing, which is to do drama and comedy. Because mm-hmm. obviously comedians are dark generally because that's where a lot of comedy comes from. Yeah. Pain and darkness and, 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 and human experience. So for me, those are also the most interesting actors, you know? That, yeah, I, 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 I did a video once talking about Eddie Murphy, um, and there's a scene in um, Dreamgirls. Uh, he's about to, his character is about to do drugs, and he just gives this look to another character that's so weighty without any words at all. It's just like a very weighty scene with just a look. And, you know, there's just like an endless list of comedic actors that transition to um dramas and they do so well and it's 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 like you said it comes from that place of pain it comes from that that dark place that we all laugh at we can't help but to laugh at because the darkness is so ridiculous sometimes you know and yeah. i feel like i feel like i i 100 agree with you it is it stand-up comedy has to be the hardest thing to do because everybody has a different taste and humor so you're trying to make a room of let's say you know a thousand people laugh at the exact same thing that's that's seemingly impossible. And when you, they do it, I just saw Chris Rock at uh, Dolby. When they do it, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, it's it's. You're a rock star. You're. It's magic because even a rock star. This is what I was marveling at when I went and watched Chris Rock. Was so if you're the Rolling Stones or you're Lady Gaga or whoever you are, right? You write a, a song. You might write a whole album, right? And. Uh, and then you perform that on tour and you perform that, but you also go perform your old stuff too. Right. You can perform your and song so forever. You a, yeah, forever. A comedian, they go out, they deliver a new set. So like Chris Rock, this set is going to be his set for this year. The next time you see Chris Rock, three years from now, he's not going to deliver any of this stuff again. Right. It's brand new. It only lives for that the time in which he's sort of like, you know, he or she are doing it. And it's just it's badass what comedians do. So it I, is fucking I think badass. It's 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 and it's hard. So and it's also but but also to your larger question and your larger point, you also work begets work, right? So mm-hmm. like you know, I made that film with a friend of mine from college, Better Way to Die. That's like a shoot 'em up. We tried to do Heat. Like we went <laughs> and did like a ten minute like example of what we thought the movie could do, so we could raise two million dollars to make it. Mm-hmm. And we went out in the winter and had more fucking gun ammunition, you know, blanks with every kind of weapon. I mean, we didn't even know how dangerous we were being. Probably, we went out in a little parking lot and just like blew everything up we could, and it was like our version of of heat, you know. And uh, and it's funny because I remember going, 
And I'm not, by the way, this is going to sound like a, a weird thing. Like, oh, I did that first because, of course, I didn't. Right. But it was pre-Private Ryan. And I'm like, we should shoot this all at like a 90-degree shutter angle because it'll just oh, give the yeah, whole yeah, thing yeah. a hyper angle. And we did. We shot it all at this like hyper. But nobody saw it. But it was like this idea, not knowing what it would feel. But I went, that might just feel hyper sharp, hyper real. like Just like. Uh, we were experimenting, exactly. And then when Private Ryan came out, we were like, well, that movie obviously did it successfully. We made this tiny movie. But nonetheless, and then, you know, Garden State had comedic things. It was like a drama, dramedy and a comedy, you know. Yeah. And then that helps me get the next thing and helps me. And they live. I live in that world of other comedic directors. So you, the work begets work as well. It's not just that I love comedies. It's also that's where the... That's also my opportunities as well sometimes. Right. So you don't have a preference between, uh, you know, comedies or comic book movies or dramas or anything like that. I feel like I feel like no. jo Joker is kind of a perfect balance between a lot of. Those yeah. Movies. I mean, I love the movies that Todd makes. And I love working with him. And he's exactly that. He loves darkness, yeah. but he his spirit is to be funny. So it's a good combo. And I think the evolution of Todd from like his documentary made in NYU all the way through, you know, uh, the funniest moments in old school, which I did not do with Todd, but I love the movie are the moments in which it's like the most, you know, when he's like, you know, Will Ferrell is like jumping mm -hmm. in the pool and it's like the graduate kind of thing. Or like, uh, when he gets hit with the dart and it's like the <laughs> weirdness and the darkness and the strangeness. And, and we just kept trying to explore that in every sort of thing with, through from hangover all the way through joker so but yeah as a person who goes oh what would i direct next it's going to be in that same vein of something yeah. that's comedic or something that's like i love what um what adam mckay has been doing because it's like adam mckay is Step another brothers one that's, that's, yeah yeah i mean Brothers is like as good as it gets as well as a bunch of the other films that he's done of course yeah. but then he's just going out and making his other interests whether it's like economics or the environment and sort of weaving that into a story that's both absurdist and funny you know i loved you know dr strangelove and i loved being there is one of my favorite movies of all time being and there that's, is great you know one of the best comedic actors of all time playing a role in which he was like the straight man the just entire flat way. the entire time yeah 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 so that's a that's like those kind of movies harold and maude that kind of stuff I've always really gravitated towards. Yeah. So do you do you um do you plan on directing more? Yeah, I just got to stop shooting if I'm going to do it. My <laughs> manager would like me to read more scripts that he sends me. Yeah. Uh, I do. I got I got kind of kicked in the nuts on Father Figures. It was an amazing experience making it. I, I was blessed with an incredible cast and obviously the opportunity to make a movie with real money. Um I still, to this day, have post-mortem inside of me as to understand what I was supposed to learn from it because yeah. the movie tested decently well early on and then it got punted around the release schedule. So I was like, the movie got lost somewhere in there and then obviously didn't do really well. So it's not like it propelled me into like, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of directing opportunities. And then I also was just, it was a real like beat down that I was just actually excited to get back behind the camera because it was like a, it one, it made me feel like I could be a better DP because I really understood 
what directors are going through in a whole yeah. different way than I did before. So it right. really made, gave me much more empathy, made me understand where they were at each day and each hour of the day. Mm-hmm. And I think I did better work post-directing as a DP. But yeah, I would love to... Uh, I would love... But I'll give you an example of a movie I'd love to remake, which is a comedy. Brewster's Millions. I'm going to say it on this podcast so it becomes true over the next year. <laughs> Brewster's Millions is like a... It's a one, it's like... It's like a pretty forgettable comedy with Richard Pryor from the 80s. But it was like my kind of thing. But I feel like that's the kind of movie that I... Like, because Trading Places is one of my favorite movies of all time. In the way that it, like, speaks to social, economic issues. You know, in a a way that's still four-quadrant and incredibly, you know, accessible. It never feels like preachy. But yet, at the end of it, you're like, I kind of understand Orange Futures now. That kind of thing. I'm like, I feel like... But I would never try to remake that movie because it's canon. But I feel like Brewster's Millions is like a, a one that you could remake and, and make kind of interesting. I'm trying to remember. I have seen it. I saw it. I saw it a long, long time ago. I probably was. Yeah, it's a pretty basic premise. And in fact, it's been made like six times under different titles. It's actually like one of those movies that's like Little Women or something. It keeps getting yeah. remade. Uh, so you, you think you have a new take on it? I, I've been I've been stirring through it. I'll wait until post this Joker, but it keeps rummaging in my head, and I feel like I got do it. At least sure. got two people I think could be cast in it. That would be awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, you uh, should definitely do it. If if it's been if it's been marinating in your head for that long, you should definitely has, go for it. It has. All right, I'm gonna pause here for a moment so that we can talk about Film Crux, the company, not the podcast. So one of the hardest things when you're editing a film is finding that perfect sound effect to go with everything that you're putting your blood, sweat, and tears into. I know for me, it's super important to have the perfect sound to go with the images that I've created. And what these royalty-free companies are charging is sometimes just crazy. Fortunately, Film Crux has created a library of over 400 cinematic sound effects for you to use in your productions. Sounds like this. And this. And we can't forget about this. So head over to filmcrux.com to check out Singularity along with some of the other products that they offer because they're all fantastic. Now, with that being said, let's get back to this interview with Lawrence Scherer. I guess what, you directed a couple of episodes of television too, right? I did. I did this series over COVID called Rutherford Falls that I did the yeah. pilot and two other episodes to start it off. And that yeah. was super fun. That was also Ed Helms who was in the Hangover movies with me, mm-hmm. but also was the star of Father Figures, which I directed. So Ed was gracious and and generous enough to sort of bring me onto that project, um, oh, that's and great. it was really fun. It was it was also a different experience because I had shot some pilots, but really have never lived in that TV world, and so to direct the pilot of a of a series, but also some episodes, was just like a brand new set of muscles to kind of yeah. try, you know, stretching out and feeling out. And I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So when you're when you're directing, what's your relationship like with the DP? Since you're, you've obviously done major the majority of your yeah. career has been cinematography. You know, what, what's your relationship? Are, are you are you the type of director that's that's giving very specific notes on what you want for shots and everything like that? Yeah. I here's what I think I learned in my first movie is I was probably a director that I wouldn't have wanted to shoot for. <laughs> <laughs> meaning, I can't, it meaning, has to. 
It has to be that way because you 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 know visual storytelling and and the the art of cinematography so well. It, it's hard. I would imagine it's hard to separate. It, even when I do it, it's just like I can't stop the two. That like they're converging. Yeah, the same right. Time. It's but yet I'd be like, well, of course, when so, when a director gives me a lot of like freedom to sort of try things and and have some autonomy, yeah. it of course makes you feel good, just like everyone on set. But but then having to do that when you're that in charge and like you got to make it's something I I have to grow into and be better at. Like I yeah. got a little better on the pilot because I was working working with Ross Reg and he was really great and and I felt like I was able to allow. We had the conversations, sort of. I'd give some perspective on where I felt like the coverage needed to be from, but then let him lens it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then just give little notes if I saw something, you know, from a framing standpoint. But just generally the same same stuff I would do to anything. But every once in a while, like there was a scene that wasn't quite working steady cam, and I threw the camera on my shoulder and just operated it myself. Yeah, and then they got pissed off at me, and I was like, "Yeah, but I think I'm allowed to because I'm I'm still a DP." <laughs> they, yeah. So I I still have to, I still could do better. Like I'm very I'm very um, I have great admiration for those director DPs that have become directors that are able to just like let it go. What about um, what about the directors that have become DPs for their own projects, like um, like Soderbergh or Paul Thomas? Well, Anderson. I respect Soderbergh. I really respect him. Yeah. I respected him in Solaris because I thought that movie was actually quite beautifully photographed. Mm-hmm. And I understand why Soderbergh does it. So for me, I'm not one of those people who's like, and, and I'm friends with Ed Lockman who shot Brockovich and a bunch mm-hmm. of other movies with Soderbergh. And Ed Lockman, who's a master cinematographer himself, loves that Soderbergh shoots. He has great, like, he gets it. He's like, Soderbergh does it because honestly, it's like the most straightforward path to him executing something and since he's the kind of guy that literally edits his scenes at lunch i've heard right when he had rap that in his world he's like almost like just like a tiny indie filmmaker even if he's making oceans 13 he's like he's his his brain is is meant to like sort of control all those elements and i totally get it but then you look at some something like with steven mizell i mean uh steve steven uh Shit, I just fucked his name up. The the Queen's Gambit DP. Oh, um, uh, Made, uh, 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 I'm just I said Mizell because he's a photographer, but uh, no, nah, I can't uh, remember his name. But he'll be mad if he sees this. But uh, um, but, on, he, let, but, let, but but a longtime assistant of Soderbergh, and is doing amazing work. And Soderbergh sort right. of started letting him shoot some stuff like on girlfriend experiences and stuff like that, and has shown such incredible talent after being like a long time assistant for so long that, you know, I'm sure in his own way, he learned from Soderbergh and then also was able to take and make his stuff phenomenal on his own, you know? Yeah. And I think some, some directors just have a, a, a stronger sense of visuals than others, you know? And I, I don't think there's I mean, anything Fincher wrong with that. is like Fincher is like a guy who can and Fincher and Cameron could do the job themselves every yeah. day of the week. Fincher yeah. for sure could do the job. You know? Yeah, I've, and I've do it well. I've I've talked to people that worked on Fincher sets and he is very specific with everything even down to the lighting. Um exactly. super super specific with everything like that. Exactly. Know? So speaking of, speaking of lighting, do you do you 
when you're first off, what's your what's your testing process like? What's your uh, before you go into a show? What's your what's your testing like? I uh, it's great question. I love to test as much as they'll let me. You know, I'll try to find any opportunity to test something, right? Because I yeah. just love to get started, and I also feel like anything you test is an opportunity to like start to figure out the language of the movie you're making. Mm-hmm. Even if are you, you have testing, an idea about it. Are you testing with actors? Are you testing in locations? or or Joker, I went out and tested on locations because we were shooting film and then we decided to shoot digital late. So we sort of had some stuff. But I went to the actual locations at night, brought a camera, shot some film, looked at it, got a felt feel for like what was free, like what the world was giving me for free. Yeah. You know, because we were trying to do it in a way that was, you know, kind of available light and as many opportunities as we could mm-hmm. um so i wanted to see what the world was giving me but sometimes it's like in every movie you know you'll have like little you'll like pick out you know five or six things in the script maybe 10 that are just like what are we doing here well we have a projector that has to show a movie well are we going to shoot do a real projector yeah, or are we can do a digital projector that feels like a real projector. It's oh, always something that you have to figure out how to do. I remember in Garden State, like there's a scene where they go through like this little like between hotel rooms, and they're doing like a camera obscura thing, and they've taped like a lens to the wall, and it's just a pinhole, and that across the wall, a bunch of like creepy people are watching some girl get screwed in the room, and. I remember being like, well, how the hell are we going to do that? <laughs> and Zach was like, well, that's your job, man. You <laughs> so I, the first thing I did was I go to the to the production manager, like, I got to test this. I got to figure this out. Right. Like, this is not like something, this is going to take something. So that was part of like figuring that sort of testing out, you know, on that movie. And yeah. you know, so in each you- movie, it'll be a couple things to sort of, you know, this will be a challenge that we got to, we got to sort of figure out and nut out. And then I'll use it as an opportunity to also test, I do a very specific makeup hair test oh, that I've done now for years. What is and it? It's What's very the intentional. So it's very simple. I'll I'll give it away because I, I I got no no problem giving it away. So it's a twelve by twenty, basically neutral gray. So eighteen percent gray, basically, right? It could be like a dark day gray or whatever it is. That's like kind of neutral i can make it lighter i can make it darker if it doesn't take any light as just a very simple background and then i have a key light from the left which is like usually a 12 by 12 with like an egg crate on you know with a light control on it and that'll be like a probably a cool light source like so it'll represent daylight or represent hmis and then on the other side is something warm so i'll represent you know tungsten light or something like that and then I'll put a top light, a soft top light box over the top, and I'll bring it pretty low and put it out in front of the actor so it kind of wraps as like a top light. And then I'll set up a backlight with a hard backlight in two different colors or two different types of hard backlights, you know, maybe an open Fresnel and an HMI. Uh, now LEDs are obviously a lot more easy because I could put them all on dimmer boards. And then I'll put some soft backlights. And then I'll run them through a bunch of color scenarios, right? And this is where digital can really be helpful, right? So I'll run them from 2,800 Kelvin all the way to 3,400 Kelvin on the warm side. I'll go 10,000 
degree Kelvin all the way down to 5,000 on the cool side. And then I'll run a bunch of like cyan fluorescent look, warm white fluorescent look. I'll do colors if it's going to be in the movie, red, something more dramatic if I'm trying to test some colors. And while the person's under, like, so I'll set the actor up on, and I'll st- stick a dolly track right down the middle. And so it's just a slow creep towards the actor. And you'll see this because they, they ended up using our makeup hair test. Oh, as, like, for the, the for, for, for Joker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I exactly. do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And so you don't, I, I wish they had the whole thing because you'd really see it. But I'll just basically uh, cycle through those color changes. Mm. in real time and here's the beauty of that right one it's less boring for the people watching the makeup hair test right in that it's like if you just have like a single source it's great and i've done that i used to do that before i came up with this strategy but that's all you get you get that and it's also not really reflective of anything else in the movie right right it's like basically like setting up a still shoot it's not really reflective of anything real that you're testing in the movie and you're doing that to to see how the color reacts with the the actors, right? So you'll see how like oh, if we're in a warm white environment, it's going to do this to the wardrobe. That's an obvious thing that we can look at. But right. also, it's an opportunity to test some things like two or three stops down top mm. light. Mm-hmm. And if it comes up, if that's the only thing you did to test, you could get fired, right? Because yeah. people are like, this is the fucking movie. Three stops down, top light. And there are people like, I've seen more DPs, and we've talked about it amongst friends of mine, get more nervous at the camera makeup hair test than they do on any other day of the shoot because that's when the actresses are fun, the actors are starting. People can get tense. In this way, it never puts one look to get. So if it's three stops under for a second, eight seconds later, it's going to go to exposure. Right, but you so, get to but, see what the three stop sunder looks like. Yes, but better than that, you get to see reactions without ever asking people. So if you're watching ah. it together and they go, that looks cool, you go, great, mm. I could go low. I, th- this person's not going to be afraid of the dark. Right. Or right, if suddenly, right. like, you get a producer who's like, what was with that one? You go, okay, good. I'm testing the boundaries of where people right. are going to have skittish or going to get That's... skittish. So it gives you an opportunity to, like, really see some. Get some feedback without them even knowing they're giving you feedback because you could just listen to them while they see it happen, right? That's interesting. And if it's like suddenly it gets really toppy and it looks beautiful, even though the eyes are dark, and they they go, yo, I like that. It's like, great, right. great, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, that- as opposed to having to have that conversation on set when they're like, I can't see the eyes, you know? It's like they've already sort of given you that without having to ask them, do they like this or not? And that's what a test should be for. You should, you know, to to see what's going to work, not just what works within the story, but what works with the collaborators, you know. That's right. And it's just, it's information, right? You're just, right. it's like, uh, it's, it's, it, this is by the, I'm not bringing it back to Shot Deck as a plug. The whole reason is like, it's a way to have the conversation in the ways of like, when somebody goes, Hey, I want it to be silhouetted, but I want to see their all everything. You're like, well, then you don't want it silhouetted. Let's have right. a conversation about what silhouette means, <laughs> right? And let's bring up some like shots of silhouette so we can talk about what you don't like. Where, why right. you're scared of it being like a black, car, you know, silhouette or a cardboard cutout silhouette, you know? Um, so it's like it's this is also an opportunity. It should be. It shouldn't just be like this inert 
test to see wardrobe and makeup. It should yeah. be an opportunity to actually, and I'll go even so far as I'll look at those actors and I'll go Joker, for instance. I'll go, well, Joaquin's going to live in some tungsten light in his apartment. I'm going to mix in some fluorescence. He's going to be outside. He's going to be, you know, I'll go through like in my mind, the whole script. And in that test, the things I'll run through on the left and the right and the top will all be representative of some point in the movie. Yeah. That I think. Like, if I'm going, oh, he's going to be in hard sunlight in this day, I'll try to introduce that in one of the things. So, I, I, you know, if there's some scene in which they're in a nightclub or something, I'll try to test that there too, right? It's like, I'll, I won't just save it for the day that we're shooting the nightclub scene. I'll try to use this as an opportunity to do that as well, you know? That's, that, is, that is an amazing test, and it's so simple, but it's so useful like at the same time that's that's crazy did you you came up with that on your own yeah i'm trying to think of the first time i did it because i may have done it before godzilla but i remember on godzilla i put down track and just moved in on people and because we were trying to test things specifically like you know uh godora's like or or godzilla's like what Godzilla's like color was, which is like a cyan thing when his spine lights up and yeah. his fire, you know. And then like what would be Rodan's color? We had a lot of color things. So I thought, well, I need to test this. And then I put Millie Bobby Brown in there and I just ran through a bunch of the stuff and pushed in on her. And it just looked cool. And people were like, that's cool. And then we went kind of crazy on Black Adam because we kept having to test Black Adam people yeah. in sets. Because, like, they weren't necessarily finished. So, like, we got Cyclone in another set. And we would then, we went crazy on that movie. I, I'm surprised they never released it. But we made it almost like a music video. We put so many lighting <laughs> cues, big, like, it, it was like nothing like the movie, but each one was its own little, like, music video, including, like, Dr. Fate and shit. It's pretty right. funny. But yeah, we just used it as an opportunity to, like, make them fun and not just, uh, and to learn something as well, for sure. No, that's crazy because because I don't I don't think a lot of people know how to test. A lot of people are are just setting up a camera. I, I I've done a lot of stuff with like NYU graduate students, and you know they a lot of them their test is setting up a camera next to a window and just rolling. I'm like, this isn't a test. You're just you're just shooting a guy next to a window. That's not a test at all. <laughs> that tells you absolutely right. nothing about the lighting or co conditions or you know what's how the light is working with the actor's face or how it's working with wardrobe or the hair you know that's not a test but what you're doing that's right. that's literally going through everything that possibly can happen that's right that's exactly how i look at it and by the way my equivalent of next to the window is i'll open up the elephant door and i'll just stand them in half light in the elephant door because i go well that is true daylight and that's going to be slightly different than our artificial daylight look. So if it's stage daylight, I'll do it underneath that controlled environment. And then I'll also take them into the elephant door just to get a little bit of real daylight as well. Yeah, that makes sense. It was um, yeah. Black Adam was the last film you shot, right? Yeah, yeah. How long ago was that? I mean, I shot it all the way. I mean, I was doing the final, final stuff all the way up until July of this year. Oh, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, because we had to do like this little coda with Henry Cavill at the end and then yeah. some stuff, you know, late. And then we did some – every those movies, I learned this even 
because I worked with Jama, the director, on Jungle Cruise reshoots. I did like some extensive reshoots on that movie or additional photography, I should say, because they're not even reshoots. And this is very common in those big movies. They'll intentionally not even shoot the third act. Like they'll they'll shoot the whole movie and not even it's not even like they they didn't have time to do it. They don't even plan on doing a big section of the movie because they want to figure out what that needs to be based on everything they've shot up until then. So those big movies, they usually have one or two sets of like pretty serious additional photography, you know, some reshoots if you need it, but a lot of it's additional photography. Uh, and so I did that on Jungle Cruise and, uh, and then that's when I met John and he's like, you want to work on Black Adam? So I was on Black Adam right after Joker came out, but then we had COVID. So I was on it for a long time. Right. So it was yeah. Joker, Black Adam, and now Joker, uh, uh, Folly yeah. Adu? Yeah, Folly Adu. So in, in that period of time, like between those films, are you are you doing anything to like stay sharp or anything like that? Like keep your... your well, I did a lot of, going? I did a lot of like little things, you know, that were... All, I mean, besides that was also... From the time Joker came out until Black Adam really started shooting in earnest, like we launched officially launched Shot Deck the uh, uh, three weeks after I started shooting Black Adam. So I spent a lot of time actually then going, well, I actually want to now go after Shot Deck in a real way. So that kept me really busy. But as far as staying sharp, like I did some cool little things. I did shoot a movie in between there a small movie called The Starling uh, that we shot on film with Ted Melfi directing, which was really great. But then I'll do commercials. I did this iPhone 13, like, short film, hmm. which was really fun. You shot it on an iPhone 13? Yeah, in China. That, that was like a whole short film only on the phone. Interesting. Big budget. I mean, it's for, it's for Apple, so they put a lot of money into it. Was it, it the was one... Um, uh, the one that... I think I saw a recent one from from Apple, one of the Apple events where they uh, had a short film. They were showing off the cinematic mode. It, this it was, was this came out in 2020. I feel uh, like gotcha. I was patient X because I went to I went to present it when we finished it. It was also directed by Ted Melfi, the guy I did Starling with. Um, yeah. It was really fun to make, and we made it in 2019, and then. We finished it and they we showed it in the early 2020, and then like in January. Yeah. And then I came home, and got really sick. <laughs> so <laughs> wonder why. Maybe I maybe I started all this shit. I oh, you you no you no might've... I think it was like <laughs> the timetable didn't. Quite you brought work. COVID to the U.S. That's if if we learn nothing else that's from this podcast. That's the big get for that's the big headline the from this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely uh, did that. That was all you. <laughs> Thanks, thanks a lot for that, for shutting us down for two years. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Do you do any uh, still yes. uh, photography? You know, not as much as I'd like to. I, I really used to do it so much. When I moved to L.A., like I, when I graduated from college, I moved out to L.A. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anybody. I didn't go to film school. So I was really trying to learn. And I took a, an old Nikon, took the the meter out of it so it had no meter and i would learn by just shooting stills and i did that so many years yeah and loved it and uh and i still love it but i don't do it as much and so i have to sort of remind myself like 
you know, if I take some time off, I'll maybe go and just do like a yeah. expose of something, you know. No, yeah, like the, the cool, you know, motels or something. And just the like, reason I ask, a, yeah, the the reason I ask is because that's how I keep. That's how I started to develop my my visual language and working with light, both natural and artificial. That I, I I did a lot with stills um, to really know how to light a face and how to uh, compose an image and how to you know cycle through lenses and everything like that. You know that's well, that's what it is. I mean, outside of the motion part of it and movement, yeah, it's just twenty four still shots of you know a second. It's like. That was my inroad into cinematography. Was still. Yeah. so for me, yeah, and I, I feel like know, a lot of a lot of your work is so beautiful. Um, thinking of like Joker and stuff, some of those shots are just like amazing, uh, fine art photography. If you if you took a single frame from it, you know, it's it's really just gorgeous like that. And you have that kind of that eye of a still f- photographer. I think you know. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, it's beautiful work. I uh, just try to create shots for shot deck. That's it. <laughs> I think we're 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 coming up to an hour. We're we're a little past an hour now. I know you have to have to get going. Um you know, this uh, was a real pleasure. I really enjoyed it. You asked some really good questions and it reminded me of all the things that like you know, it, it brought me back to some good memories. And it, I mean it's funny because I'm right now, you know, I'm like in that like for me, Sunday nights, every Sunday night, like shooting, not during prep, but every Sunday night before shooting, whether it's the first Sunday before Monday is the first day of shooting, or it's your week 10, and it's like now you're, you know, whatever it is, 50th Sunday, you know, 50th day of shooting, and you're now, every Sunday is the same thing for me, which is like a ball of nervous energy before the week yeah. starts. But we start shooting Joker on Wednesday. This one, so I don't have that energy now. Tuesday night will be that for me, but I'm at that thing where I'm like, ah, let's we gotta go and like you know get <laughs> started. But it's like it's a lot of nervous energy, so it's fun to just talk about these things and sort of remind myself of all that. So thank you. Well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you uh, had fun. I'm glad I could sit down and talk with you and, and just chat about things. You know, sometimes it's it's good to just get that nervous energy out, like you said. You know, and you were, you are, so this is the, the first episode of the podcast, so you will forever be my first guest on the oh, podcast. Oh, I love it. You know, so. Oh, I'll, I'll be the first, and I'll, you come back for the 100th, and we'll yeah. talk about, uh, hell we'll yeah. talk about Joker. October hell 2024, yeah. you'll have at least 100 in the can, and then uh, we'll talk then before it comes out, we can talk about that. Definitely, I'm excited to see it. I'm, ex- I'm really excited to see what you, because it's a musical, right? It's got some music in it, yeah. I, I'm very excited to see what you guys do with that. It's it's going to be interesting. Yeah, we're excited to, to get cracking, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, before we go, uh, I want you to go ahead and, and whatever whatever you got going on, Shot Deck, plug it in your words because you're, you're <laughs> going to say it better than I can for sure. Well, no, if, nobody, if anybody out there listening doesn't know what Shot Deck is, it's effectively a filmmaking tool that's a catalog of imagery from movies and TV and soon commercials and music videos, but it's meant as a site for research and reference and inspiration and education. And if you're making a pitch or you're having conversations with your collaborators and you need to find an image to represent an idea, this is going to help you express that uh, in a really efficient way. 
and it's a place in which you can just like also go to just find inspiration and start your creative process and find beautiful images from movies that you love and uh and and help you do your jobs better so we created it for everyone out there in the filmmaking community um and uh and just check it out and and uh hopefully hopefully it'll help you guys do your jobs better it's uh, i I can i can really speak I, i can attest to it it's it's a great database of images if you don't even know what you're looking for you can just search through it and find things it's really great and yeah and we catalog every image with like 50 or 60 categories and keywords so you can search by of course things like the filmmakers cinematographer production designer director uh but you can also search by emotional keywords like angry or sad or or elated or exuberant, you know, uh, anything that's, you that's amazing. Of. That's actually, you can amazing. search by location where it was shot, or you can search by the framing or the lighting, or you have color that you can search by. So can you, can you, can you search by, um, filmmakers like DPs and, and directors? Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So you can search and it's in a way, like I've always said, it's a better, example of my work to go to shot deck and look up my name to mm. see my work than to go to lawrenceshare.com to see like my website mm. like i'd much rather you look at my work on shot deck because it really can give you a sense through the images of the movies that i've shot um of the type of photography that i do and 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 the looks and, and stuff that i've done in the past so so I feel like it's also a future resume tool for the filmmakers uh, that are out there. So that's something. We definitely. definitely. I don't want to hold you up any longer. I know you got sick kids and you got a big shoot coming up, a huge shoot <laughs> coming up. So, you know, I appreciate you giving me your time and sitting down and talking with me. Um, and yeah, this was great. This was fantastic. Yeah, super fun. Hopefully we'll we'll do it in person one of these days. I'll get to meet you. Come, come yeah, next time. Next time uh, when we do the 100th, I'll I'll come to you and we can do it in person. Sounds awesome. We'll do it. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you.